In, uh, in 2011, God called three men, uh, two wives and a girlfriend, to, uh, to plant the Project Church. Um, it was something that none of us had planned to do. We were, uh, we were called by God. In, in the early days, we made it particularly clear to people that we weren't sure about most of what we were doing, but we were sure about a, a very kind of small focused space in terms of what God had actually called us to do. We, we didn't plant the Project Church from a business point of view as though uh, the, the woman needed more churches. Uh, we planted it because God told us to. And uh, it, was, it was really clear for us. We said to ourselves, and you've heard me say this um, before, probably if you've been around the project a bit, we said to ourselves, we'll give it two years and uh, we'll see what's standing at the end. Uh, see what's left at the end of those two years and work out what we're going to do. Um, who's been here from the beginning of the project? Like from like right at the beginning. Yeah, so you should have special compassion for them. <laughs> All right. They've had to listen to a lot of Peter's sermons. Um, God has done a lot of things in the project since the project has been running and here we are. Um, and I have to tell you, it's a little strange sometimes. Um, and the reason why it's a little strange is it kind of went from nothing and no one even really thinking about the project or planning a church to, uh, to a place where there's a bunch of people where, where we care for them, we care for each other. It's a place that marries people. It's a place where babies are born, not literally, but it's a group of people in which babies are born. People get baptised, people get changed. God's spirit is richly present amongst us. It's a place where we commune with him, we commune with each other. From nothing to this is a bit of a head spin sometimes. Um, and I've often wondered, and I'm sure Diff would probably say this too in the early days, and Nathan, uh, did, did we know what we were getting ourselves in for? And uh, that would be a clear no at that point in time. Uh, there's been so much more to it than what we anticipated in the very beginning. If we'd have known what we were getting ourselves in for, would we have still done it? I don't know. Probably. Uh, because we were really clear about the fact that that's what God wanted us to do. Um, but sometimes you can kind of reflect back. You just go, whoa, okay. So uh, here's a metaphor I use really often. is like uh, there's a lot of things in life that are like getting in a roller coaster and you can't see the end and you just got to pull the harness down and just hang on until you get to the end and there's going to be lots of high points and lots of low points and lots of times you're going, do we have to be upside down for this long? Um, uh, there's just lots of moments like that. It's been like that um, leading and growing a church. <clears throat> but it raises the question at some level. It's like, what, what even is the Project Church? What is it? Um, and I think to answer that, we need to briefly look at what this thing, the church, actually is. What is the church? Who is the church? And what's the purpose of it? Um, there's been a lot written about this stuff. And uh, we're just not going to cover everything that's been written about it. We're just going to pick some important pieces out and uh, have a conversation about those things. Let me just make a few comments about the uh, Toowoomba Christian community. The Toowoomba Christian community, and I, I will be just a little bit, not massively, but just a little bit controversial here, probably. But the, the Toowoomba Christian community, I don't think is particularly clear about what the church is and what it's meant to be doing. I think some of them are. I think some of them are not. Um, 
I think it's actually a pretty messy space for us. Like, what is the church? What's it supposed to be doing? Uh, Who's in it? I've heard it said that 30% of Christians in Toowoomba are in a state of flux between churches. That's high. If that, I mean, that's an anecdotal kind of comment, but that's really, really high. They're not committed to any particular church. And I want to suggest to you this morning, I, I think that's problematic. I, I don't think, if that's actually true, I don't think that's a positive thing that, that speaks to the health of the church in Toowoomba as a whole. Um, now, some of you go, well, what are you saying, Pete, that we can't change churches? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. Like my line for people who come to the Project Church, and if you're a visitor today, we'd love to have you. And my line to you is, uh, why don't you just pray about it and find out where God wants you to be and then plant yourself <laughs> and, and hang in there. Find a vision that you can back and you can support and get behind it and plant yourself there. Don't float around. Sometimes I have bemoaned the abundance of good churches in Toowoomba because of the way it leads people to just float around from one to the next. I don't, I don't think that's a good thing. You know, people have come and left the project probably in the hundreds in the last eight and a half years. And that's okay. That's okay for people not to stay at the project. But I think it's, it's not a good thing, this, this sheer volume of people that appears to just float from one church to the other. Now, I've had some interesting things said to me by people, and the elders in the church here have had some interesting things said to me by by people about what the church is and about what the project is. Um, let me give you a couple. Uh, four, actually. Someone said to me, this is a number of years ago, they said, it was actually after Stakeholders, which is kind of our vision, Sunday, he, he texted me and he goes, Pete, he goes, you really sold your vision to me, we're in. And then we hardly saw him again. <laughs> Great. Well, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. What did I just do? That was one. Um, people have said to me, um, Pete, we're, we're just not feeling it at the project anymore. And I just, and, and they left and that's okay. Like, I'm not going to control them and tell them they can't leave. But do, do you not think that's a weird thing? To, like, we're just not feeling it anymore? It's like, can you get me a scripture and like a reference for that one? You know, is, is, that, is that a reason? I'm just throwing it out as a question. Is that a reason that you just kind of change churches? Is because... You're just not feeling it. Um, here's another one. We, a, a while ago, there was a... Um, I'm not going to go into detail, so it's... Uh, no one's identified, no one's publicly shamed. That's not a cool thing to do. But uh, a number of years ago, there was a... Um, there were some people that we were working with in, in an area of their life that they were really struggling in, and we were just kind of getting down to the stuff that was really going on, and then they left. <laughs> and you know what they said? You're not Pentecostal enough. <laughs> that was the reason. It's like, okay, like if you want to leave, that's okay. But is, is that, would that be a reason to leave the church at the project? I mean, it's okay if your style is more Pentecostal. Sometimes I think we get, we're in between mainline churches and Pentecostal charismatic churches. And sometimes I think we don't make either end particularly happy when they're in the church, but... And this one, I've got to throw this one out. This, is, uh, this was one of the, 
one of the more interesting ones. Uh, someone accused uh, me in 2017, it might have been, or 2018, that I planted the church to make money. <laughs> it was a business thing. Um, I have heard more comments like this than are helpful to, for me to remember about the church. And, and the reason why I bring them up is because all of them have something to do with people's view of the church. What is it? What are we actually even doing when we gather together? Now, let me clarify again. You don't have to stay at the project. No one is going to make you stay at the project. But who knows this? The times of the deepest change in your life probably happened when you were in a place that you couldn't get out of. You think about suffering and trouble that you've had in your life, the deepest times of change and transformation by Jesus are probably connected to the things that you couldn't get out of. And the reason why it happened is because you couldn't get out of them. Because if you had the choice to get out of them, you probably would have, but the fact that you couldn't get out of them meant that you had to face up to Jesus and you had to face up to what was actually going on. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That's just kind of how it rolls. And, and I think, now, no, one, no leader here is going to come and box you into a corner and say, you can't go anywhere. We are not going to do that. But for you to make a commitment to, to a place, a local place in terms of a church, and push through the things that are difficult, I think is really, really important. You know, things get said, and I'm sure you have these conversations with people, uh, other Christians, why do you need to go to church on Sundays? I, I can do church standing, watching my kids play sport. Well, like we just did church at, at a coffee shop, and I just go, well, maybe, partially, because if you start drilling down into what the church is in the New Testament, you just go, well, uh, now we're running into a bit of trouble things are a little clearer there than maybe we are clear about them. You know, some people go, well, I can listen to the best preachers in the world online uh, and worship with Hillsong. You know, there's better preachers than Peter. And there are. And I could just listen to them like, let's, let's just do that. I just do, I do church at home. Really? You know, and then you've got the whole issue of attractional churches the whole thing's just designed to attract people to come to the church now strictly speaking i don't have a problem with this but when you go to the bible you're just not going to find that head counts are a measure of success for a church you're just not it's just it's just not there in fact there's nothing there that actually tells you whether one size of church is better than another. I mean, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, you had 120 people and then 3,000 people got saved. So in one day they had a mega church. 3,120. 120 is good. 3,120 is good too. Is anyone with me on that? Like if God brought 10,000 people and got them saved and they started coming to the project, that would be a massive headache massive headache that would be a good headache to have wouldn't it that would be a good headache but it's not a measure of success whether you get bums on seats in churches the most successful pastor in history died on a roman cross 
with a handful of people watching that loved him. Kind of messes with an attractional model that measures success by the number of bums on seats, doesn't it, when you look at Jesus? You know, I, I think, I'm not saying this is a case for everyone, every Christian in Toowoomba, but I think we've got a mess in Toowoomba and we've got some problems with the way that we understand the church. And what isn't helping us is, uh, is something that Mark David talks about, which I think is really helpful. He's, he just makes this point that we're in a bit of a culture at the moment where people talk about essentials and then they think everything else doesn't matter. So the essential is that you want someone to be saved. You want someone to come to know Jesus, to be changed by Jesus. That's essential. That's a life and death reality. And, and he just makes the point that what people do is they, they just kind of push away all these other things that are important but not necessarily essential in that kind of way. And he's, he makes the point, he said, you do a lot of things in your life that are not essential but are very, very important. <laughs> like, like having a bath or a shower or doing your teeth. Some of you are going, I didn't do them today, see? Well, you, you haven't died yet. Okay? Now, it's very important, and anyone who currently has a toothache knows it's very important to brush your teeth. And then it becomes very urgent and maybe even a life and death situation. Sometimes I think um, if we were clearer about what the church was meant to be, we'd be able to locate ourselves better. I think our culture doesn't help. We are a culture of sound bites and not arguments. And I think that's, that's part of the headache that we've actually got going on in our culture is you can't actually dialogue with people. The reason why you can't dialogue with people is because we are a culture filled with opinion and not arguments. And if we actually had arguments, we could have a conversation about what what we believe and we could actually interact on it whereas at the moment we probably by and large are a culture that just shouts at one another on uh, on facebook um, on the internet in cyberspace we we are less a culture about hammering something out you know what would it mean to actually have a clearly articulated thought through understanding of the church and the shape that it needs to have these are good questions, but I, don't, I think sometimes we just don't have the attention span that we need for these things. Now, it still happens. I mean, I, I just finished doing some research and I wrote a thesis. There's still places in our society where you need to argue stuff and you need to think about stuff, but at a street level, uh, it's just not there as much anymore. Another reason why I think that it's a bit of a mess, this whole uh, idea of the church, is that I think there's, there's actually lots of different ways of doing church. And there's lots of different ways of understanding what a church is. Um, and sometimes I think what people say is they go, look, we don't agree on all this stuff, so let's just focus on the gospel. Well, I disagree. Uh, I, think that, uh, I think there are different ways that the church can actually be led and run. Uh, but I think there's some basic principles that ought to be part of every church. If it's going to be a church, it needs to be a church. And there's some basic principles for that. You know, there's a reason why parachurch organisations are not churches. If you work for a parachurch organisation, you're not going to a church when you go to work. It's, it's a sub kind of category underneath the church. And you know, when it all comes down to it, I don't think, even though I say that there are different styles of doing things, I don't think ultimately that you can explain everything away by saying it's a different style. 
Because there's a point at which a style actually reflects a deeply held belief about what is and what the direction of the church is meant to be. So, some of you by this point in time are probably thinking, Peter, can we just cut to the chase? Like, how do, you, how do we know what a church is? How do we find out what it's meant to be? And uh, there's a simple answer to that. Uh, we, we go to the Bible. And we find out what the Bible says. And some of you go, well, people differ in terms of what they understand the Bible is saying about the church. And I go, well, that's okay. Let's just grapple with it. Let's work with it. Let's, let's allow for a bit of flexibility there in the way that people understand things. But let's, at the very least, say the Bible is our text and we want to learn about what church is from the Bible. You know, my hope as we uh, work through this series over the next number of weeks is that uh, who the who the church is and what it's meant to look like is just going to become clear. We're just not going to cover everything today. Uh, just see the next number of weeks as a mosaic um, that we're building up and uh, the picture will become clearer as we go. Um, you know, here's, here's an encouragement I'll give to you. Um, it's a really simple place to go if you're just going, okay, how do I get a handle on what the church uh, is meant to be other than come to the project over the next number of weeks? Um, you could just go and find a concordance. You know, go online, find a Bible online and just type in church in the search bit and search the whole of the New Testament for the word church. And then once you've read all of those, you could type in churches and then read all of those verses and you would be really helped by doing that. You get some kind of clarity about, about what the church is meant to be about. Now, let's kick in. Let me throw... A few things out quickly. I'm going to have all the scriptures on the screen today because I'm going I'm to duck and weave all over the place today. So I trust you'll be able to stay with me. But the three things I just want to um, throw some thoughts at are uh, what is the church, who is the church, and why the church. So uh, let's get into it. You ready? Okay. Here's the first one. What is the church? Uh, this, is, um, this is the first place that the word church shows up. It's uh, Matthew 16, verse 18 in the New Testament, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting about this quote, or uh, th- this quote from Jesus, is that he's the first one to use the word church in the New Testament, and the word, the Greek word, because the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek word that means church is ecclesia, and ecclesia is a gathering. It's a gathering of persons for a particular purpose. And it's used 114 times in the New Testament. There is no other Greek word in the New Testament for the word church than ecclesia. That's it. Now, if you look here at this scripture, there's some really simple kind of low-hanging fruit here. Whose gathering is this? Audience participation. It's Jesus' gathering. All right? It's not just a gathering. It's Jesus' gathering. You know, straight off the bat... Well, let me, you know the question people go, do you have to be, go to church to be a Christian? We're doing this next week, but let me just, I'm just going to dip my toe in the water here for a sec. Um, the question, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Um, we could rephrase that and we could say, do you have to gather to be a gathering? <laughs> do you see the weirdness of that question, just even straight off the bat? Do you have to gather to be a gathering? It's like, well, if you don't gather, you're not a gathering. It's pretty straightforward, right? Even just at a logical level. But that's for next week. 
Now, this word uh, ecclesia is actually used for other gatherings. In um, Acts chapter 19, a riot almost uh, takes place because the idol makers in Ephesus are concerned because of their business. Paul's turning people away from their god Artemis and the idol makers get concerned that their business and the worship of their god um, is going to disappear. They're, they're going to lose it. Let me, let me read you the section from Acts 19, 28 to 32. When they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with, conf- with the confusion and they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them uh, Gaius and Arista- Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theatre. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly... Ecclesia was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. This is a gathering for another purpose. Most of the words, um, most of the times that the, um, that the Greek word Ecclesia is used in the New Testament speak about the local church. Okay? Not the the church, so let me just cash it out this way. There's, there's the church, a corporate church, which is everyone who's part of God's family who's ever lived in all of human history from way back to now to the future. That's the, the big kind of global one. Now, the scriptures do speak about that, but you just need to know in the New Testament, most of the time the word church is not about the big global one. It's about the local one. And I want to show you a bunch of scriptures about that. Here's Acts 11, verse 25 to 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, the gathering, the assembly, and taught a great many people. And so in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Not this big global history long thing, a specific local assembly. Acts 13, verse 1. Now that we're in the church at Antioch, specific Church, local church, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I mean, notice that. Just let me say one more thing. It's not just a local crew. It's like there's local crew from the local crew getting named. That's, that's what's going on there. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Local churches are being talked about there. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, he's giving some instructions about the abuse of the uh, Lord's Supper and the way that the uh, Corinthians were handling it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the church that gathers in Corinth. I hear there are divisions among you. And then this from uh, 1 Timothy, which is uh, instructions about elders. Elders must manage their own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, it's clearly not talking about this global kind of corporate thing that's the whole of history. It's saying if you want to get a, to find a, someone who's suitable for, to be an elder, they need to handle their household well so that when they get into God's household, locally, they handle that well. That's what he's saying there. But having said all of that, there's other scriptures that talk about this global 
um, corporate reality that is, that is the church. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. And Jesus put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So your takeaway here is that there is the church, probably even using the word global is not accurate enough. Um, there's a reality that is the local expression of the church where local members of God's family gather and then there's God's family in total for the whole of human history. The, uh, the church is a gathering and it's not just any gathering. It's not like Acts 19 in Ephesus. It's a gathering that belongs to God. It's all about him. This is 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is in the midst of our gatherings. <laughs> and it's his gathering. Now, if this is true, if this is his church and it's his gathering, it's weird to ask, what am I getting out of it? Isn't it? Is anyone with me on that? Like that's, that's weird. Like if, if we take the entertainment consumer mentality of our culture and import it into the church, it gets weird. And when churches feel like they need to entertain people and provide something for consumers, that starts getting a little bit weird too. Now does that mean that the project doesn't want to be helpful to people? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we don't want to be relevant? Absolutely not. I'm not going to come in wearing a denim jacket one day. I don't like denim jackets. <laughs> and it would not be cool. Or a safari suit. Does anyone remember safari suits? Some of you still got photos of safari suits on your body. See, that, that's where it gets weird. Like, we, we want to nourish and help and speak to the members that we have, the people that come to the project. But are, are we ultimately concerned in the project about you feeling like you're getting something out of it? <sighs> no, nah, sorry. Are we concerned? Do we want you to get something out of it and be nourished by what goes on in the project? Absolutely. Is that our ultimate concern? Uh, well, it's not going on top. It's going to be in the mix. Um, maybe we need to have 30 seconds where people can go home if they, uh, <laughs> they want to. Because church is about gathering together with God in your midst. That's what, that's what church is about. And here's, here's the kicker. If you never gather together as a whole church, then I would even ask the question, are you even a church? Because you see that. You see that in the New Testament, that the whole church gathers. Now, they do scatter and they do things separately, but the whole church gathers. And it's, it's local churches and local elders. That's what it is. And so we, you know, we've talked about church planning. We are not interested in planning a campus of the Project Church somewhere else where we retain some kind of control over it. That is, that is not the model that we want to go with. We, we want to raise up a church planner and we want to raise up elders to go with the church planner and they can run it they can we'll support them and we'll help them but it's you make it go (laughs) 
lead it and make it go, do a local thing there. You know, I've even reflected, some of you were here when um, the project ran two Sunday morning services. And people say to me, even yesterday, someone said, how did that go? Have you tried doing two services? And I just went, yeah, look, it just didn't work. And I said, why didn't it work? And I, you know, one reason is you could talk about critical mass, like dividing 200 people, you never get an even split, so it's 60-40, and you can argue all those kind of things. But do you know, as I've been preparing this, I go, yeah, maybe one of the reasons why it didn't work is because we never gathered the church together as a whole. Because that seems to be what we're supposed to be doing. Now, some people would go, well, see, that's your problem. You, you're too big. You need to stay smaller. And I just want to reiterate what I said before. Like, the Bible just doesn't really ever talk or it doesn't, not even, not really. It doesn't talk about church size and what's a better size than another. So the question about, church, about churches and how big they should be has more to do with whether a church is operating the way that God wants it to operate than it does with the actual size of it. Bigger is not necessarily better and smaller is not necessarily better. It doesn't matter whether it's bigger or smaller. What matters is that the church is doing the things that God wants, us, wants it to do. And what, just it's a little bit of cherry picking, but what are some of the things that God wants the church to do? Well, pretty much any command that God gives to the disciples and the Christians, by and large, is what God wants the church to be doing. So let's just take this one, for example. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, we do that. If a church is doing that and it's doing, doing that well and the other things that uh, Christians are commanded to do, it's a good church. Not in the absolute sense, it's just a good church. And a church of 3,000 can do that and a church of 30 can do that. Uh, size is irrelevant. Let me just throw out three uh, key metaphors that I think we see in the scriptures with regard to the church. Uh, we're going to answer the, the next two questions quite quickly and then uh, we'll be done for today in terms of my bit. Here's, uh, here's one. Uh, scriptures are really clear that the church is a temple of God. Do you not know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? There, there is something special that goes on when we gather together. Something different. Something that you can't get when you're on your own. There's a special expression of God's presence in church when it gathers because the church is the temple of God. It's a place where he hangs out. And I, I don't know whether this has ever happened to you, but um, it might surprise you to, to know that there are some days I come to church and I feel pretty flat. Is anyone with me? Has anyone ever come to church and felt flat? Come on. Does anyone ever lie? <laughs> Have you ever had the experience where you come to church and you feel really flat and you get here and there's a bunch of people worshipping Jesus and you go, oh, this is interesting. And then someone gets up and preach and God starts to... Uh, starts to get amongst it a little bit with you and you just and there's something about just gathering together and the presence of God and sometimes I mean we we get to 
We get to pray for people sometimes after church and God just gets really active and stuff just starts to happen that just doesn't happen as much in other places. And I think it's because his people gather together and his people gathering together is the temple in which he dwells. So you should come to church. You should come to church. Scriptures also talk about um, the church being the body of Christ. This is Ephesians 1 verse 22 to 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. This is Jesus to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Here's another one that pops up pretty regularly in the New Testament. This is uh, 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What's, what's the metaphor? A household. What's a household? Family. God's family. That's who we are. That's why it makes so much sense that elders need to look after their own families well because the church is the family of God and if an elder looks after his family well, there's a good chance he's going to be able to look after God's family well. You know, the scriptures are really clear. God is Father. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our brother. We are God's children. It's a mega theme of scripture. Now, who knows the devil's in the details when it comes to family? Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? And I'm, I, it's true for the church as much as natural families. The devil's in the details. There's some stuff that can be tricky to manage and negotiate in families. You know, I think one of the uh, really, really helpful things is that God's family actually relegates biological families to second place. It's not an either or, it just, in terms of, an, if, if you want to put it that way, the order of priority is like God's family is the preeminent one. And the responsibility, if you are a, um, if you're a mum or a dad that, that loves Jesus and you've got a, a bunch of kids, your job is to integrate your kids into God's family and see them become part of God's family, not as grandchildren, but as children. That's, that's your job. Now, this is really good news. This is really good news for those of you who have had really difficult and painful and scarring biological family experiences. I was talking to someone this week who uh, really struggles with the disorder and the messiness of their family and even struggles with the fact that um, going after Jesus even creates some troubles in their family. You know, and Jesus promises those who have left fathers and mothers a hundred times more now and in the life to come, eternal life. He promises that in his family, well, you're not just going to have one father. <laughs> you might have a bunch of them. You might have a bunch of really wise men. I was, I was, um, I was sitting here, we're sitting here praying and uh, I'm just going to embarrass him. Sorry, Cole. Uh, just, I'm not going to ask permission because you don't know what I'm going to say and if I have to say it, then everyone knows anyway. So. But I'm just sitting there and we're praying at this before church happened today and um, he just snuck in, sat down behind me, the seat behind me, 
And I just heard him start to engage and just say amen to some of the things in prayer. You know, and I, I sat there and I just thought, oh, it's just good to have a wise man around. Do you know what I'm saying? It's good to have a wise man. And it's like that in the church, right? You, oh, it's good to have some wise men and some wise women around, isn't it? You know? Maybe you don't get that in your natural family. Well, it'll be our hope that you find that here at the project. It's good. It's good. All right, who is the church? Uh, Let me uh, just throw a couple of scriptures at you and we'll see if we can just nail this one down pretty quickly. Uh, This is uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, the sanctified is being made pure and holy, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You know who, uh, who the church is? The church is not necessarily everyone who's sitting here right now. The church is all of those. I'm talking about the, the church as a whole. The church is all of those that have been changed by Jesus. They've been rescued by him. They've been purified by him. They've trusted in him to forgive their disobedience and their sin. And specifically, Paul here is writing to one, uh, two Corinthians, a church in Corinth. And uh, what is he saying? He's saying that there's a bunch of those people in Corinth <laughs> who have been washed clean by Jesus. And there's a bunch of them and they're all together and they all gather together in the church. So in a nutshell, you could say, who are people in the church? They're people who have been called to be saints and actually have been purified by Jesus and they're with other saints. This next one, you just have to put your thinking cap on for uh, this one. This is uh, Matthew 18. This is uh, really uh, some instruction about um, someone who sins against you. What should you do? Uh, Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. Uh, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What's Jesus saying? I think Jesus is saying something about the church and the people that are in the church by default. Because the people that don't belong in the church are the people who don't repent. The people who don't turn from their ways. So if you, if you had a particular thing that you were doing and someone came up to you and said, oh, look, I think, I think that's, that's not right that you're doing that and you didn't listen to them. And then that took one or two others and uh, they still didn't listen and it was really clear cut and they... They went and got the church involved and the church agreed and said, look, what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And you didn't repent. You didn't turn around and say sorry and and change your direction. You would show that you are not one of the church probably. It's notwithstanding the fact that we can have periods of time where we're a bit um, hardened and we can slip 
We can slide around a bit. But I think what Jesus is saying is that people who are in the church, not just in a gathering on Sunday, but in the, the church church are those who turn from their sin. They're ones that actually walk away from things like that. And so this is just a tad kind of, it starts getting a little bit interesting at this point, right? Because you just go, oh, okay, so this is, all right. Yeah, so it's not, hope for the best. This is like there's a few clearer kind of lines starting to come out. And it's like, well, yeah, there are a few clearer lines. And there will be surprises. <laughs> there will be surprises. There are people in the church, the visible church that we can see on a Sunday here and all through Toowoomba that don't know Jesus. There's probably even people in church that have been there for years and years who don't actually know Jesus. They think they do, but they don't. Now, how do I know this? Well, it's good to listen to Jesus. Um, this is what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And it's, it's a little bit freaky, a little unsettling. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? Prophesying and casting demons out. And doing mighty works. Now, I don't even know how many of those I'd qualify for. And then I, will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a, that's a bit sobering. Is anyone with me on that? It's a little sobering. Um, God's grace is very, very generous. But uh, we need to be people who have been sanctified, people who have been made clean, people who have been changed by Jesus. And if that's not you, if you're like, if you sit there and you just go, I have just been trying to make the grade as a Christian for many, many years, you should cry out to him for forgiveness and ask him to change your heart and, give him a t- and ask him to give you a taste of, uh, of the sweet grace and love that he has for you. I was talking to a guy on the phone this week um, who came to the, um, the recent Restoration Groups Intensive and he just made this comment to me. I just went, yeah, that is, that is beautiful. He goes, he goes, I've got a taste of something. I've got a taste of God's grace and his love and so I've nothing else I've ever had in my life. And he goes, I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> and that, I just want to say to you if, you, if you don't know Jesus, this is not an exclusive club. This, this is something that's freely on offer for you. And there's grace and the love and the presence of Christ that you don't know anything about. And those of us who have walked with Christ for a while and we know the taste of that grace, it's pretty good, isn't it? Is anyone else with me? It's good to say, yeah, let's just more of that. More of that. You just have to reach out to him and, and ask him to forgive you and to come and change you. And he just, he just wants to do that. He wants to do that. All right, here's the last question. We'll rip through this one. Why the church? What's the purpose of the church? Uh, just quickly, if you go to Ephesians 3, verse 8 to 10, uh, it says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Everyone is not a Jew. 
the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The body exists for the head. (laughs) If the church is the body, it exists for the head. It exists to glorify God, to point to him, to point to his wisdom. You know, this this is what we exist for. You know, church is not about what we're getting out of it. Church ultimately is about what God's getting out of it. <laughs> we, we live to just, just demonstrate the goodness and the grace of God and proclaim it to the world. It's such a flip on the consumer mentality, isn't it? I want to read a, uh, a quote with you from Mark Deva. There's a bunch of scripture references on it. If you want to look up some more stuff, you could just take a photo of it with your camera and uh, you can look those up. But I think this is just a good summary. He speaks of the, um, the purpose of the church uh, in this, uh, this little section. Uh, Deva says, Christ founded the church, purchased it with his blood, and he intimately identifies himself with it. The church is the body of Christ, the dwelling place of his spirit and the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. Finally, the church is God's instrument for bringing both the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus loving people and saving them and rescuing them from their sins, to the nations and a great host of redeemed humanity to himself. I started with a, um, a verse that uh, showed the, uh, the use of the word church for the first time in, uh, in the Gospels. And uh, I think it has some sneaky hope for us. Uh, and it's this one. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, unless you're Samson, gates are not an offensive weapon, okay? He did some stuff with them, but uh, that's not normally the way that gates work, okay? When my boys want to get into it with each other at home, get into a bit of combat, they don't go and grab one of my gates, like... And it's, well, you probably—I mean, some of you probably watched some of the wrestling, the theatrical wrestling, uh, wrestling from the uh, the states. They might use a gate, right? But normally, it's not a weapon. So gates are defensive. So this is good news, isn't it? That God is going to build His church, and hell, the defensive structures of hell, are not going to be able to withstand it. Isn't that good news? The reason why that's really good news is uh, we are pretty ramshackle sometimes, aren't we? Churches can be really, really messy places. And um, sometimes I look at the church and sometimes I look at some of the struggles that we have to grapple with at the project and I just go, yeah, look, well, I don't even know how much of a weapon this place is even going to be for good. You know, because it just seems like we have a lot of plates spinning, a lot of stuff can go on and trouble can be in people's lives. And, you know, you look 
broader in the church and even to some extent the, um, the struggles that the project has had at times with leaders and, and some of that stuff can just be really difficult and can get pretty dark and you just kind of go, how is this even going to happen? Well, you know how it's going to happen? Jesus is in the church. <laughs> That's how it's going to happen. And he, uh, he is a, a very skilled craftsman. He's a very skilled person who can use um, instruments and tools that are pretty busted and do something wonderful with them. Amen.